On the spiritual path, we have transitional transformations and we must arrive at transitional transformations with a certain kind of certainty that we have found the answer and our training allows us to abide in that without solidifying it so strongly that we get stuck there. Welcome to the Wisdom of Compassion, a podcast presented by White Conch Dharma Center. For today's episode, we will be featuring a teaching by Domo Geshe Rinpoche, the spiritual director of White Conch, titled Transcendent Wisdom. In a continuation of previous commentary on Patro Rinpoche's seminal work, Words of My Perfect Teacher, Rinpoche discusses the natural tendency of the mind to cling to objects, thoughts, and experiences. With a lucid description of how the mind holds on to our past, Rinpoche illustrates how this grasping is preventing us from embracing our spiritual potential. The White Conch 2016 Spring Retreat will be focused on the meditation practice of White Tara, and in this teaching, Rinpoche explains how this meditation is a powerful technique for returning our awareness back from grasping and clinging. There are a lot of powerful concepts presented in this teaching, and if there's a section that really speaks to you, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know what you found helpful by writing to us on our Facebook page for White Conch Dharma Center. Enjoy the teaching. The use of knowledge is of a completely different order when we are talking about uh, transcendent wisdom. On our way to transcendent wisdom, that there are many roadblocks uh, where we feel is the end of the uh, the end of the path. In other words a final arrangement uh, with the wisdom. And along the spiritual path, there are many, many roadblocks where we feel that this is the answer. This is the thing that I have been looking for. It is the key to wisdom. And so on the early part of the spiritual path, we become alert to feelings which become uh, satisfied. In other words, we feel as though something which we have questioned has finally been answered. And what makes that different from knowledge is that you don't know what it is, from ordinary knowledge, is that you can't really say what it is, but you know that it's real and true and valid. What makes it wrong is when you believe that that is the complete answer, that that is the complete answer. Because the, the continuation of wisdom depends upon the platform of closure to previous confusion in order to be able to begin a new phase of discovery. Does that make sense? And so, on the spiritual path, we have transitional transformations. And we must arrive at transitional transformations with a certain kind of certainty. I don't know if that's a correct sentence, but a certain kind of certainty that we have found the answer and our training allows us to abide in that without solidifying it so strongly 
that we get stuck there. Each of the world, the great world religions has solidified around a particular platform, a particular transitional uh, platform, which has allowed people to gather uh, and see that as being the ultimate state of truth. And we cannot deny that these various transitional transformations or these transitional philosophical epiphanies are in fact truth. And those who have followed the path and arrived at that discovery share a certain kind of uh, truth which they believe to be the truth. So not only do we have this solidification around a certain ideal or a certain philosophical point, for example, one of them would be we are all one. We are all one is one of the very important solidifying points that people are attempting to get to that understanding and abide in it and remain in that. This, these transitional truths and these transitional platforms, I'm going to say, are also the very reason why the great world religions are divisive. Why? Because my point, my ultimate truth, is different from yours, and that can't be so, because there is only one truth. And so we have to oppose the beliefs of others in order for our truth to be real. In other words, we have to get people to stop believing that and sometimes even at, the, at gunpoint. Mm. They can't believe that. They have to believe like we do. And so this uh, transitional truth, the larger the number of the adherents <laughs> to your transition, to your point, is how, how large uh, and how much influence your uh, religion has in the world politics, ethics, laws, various kinds of standards, relationships, how you think of yourself. That some of the world religions, not just one, but several, believe that you have that uh, 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 kind of original sin. This is a very important, a very important rallying point. And this affects how you think of yourself. Aside from, aside from the, the, the various ramifications of different parts of the philosophies, the reason why, the reason, one of the features, I'm going to say, of Buddhism is that there is no safe place. There is no transitional transformation place that you can say and still have a correct Buddhist outlook that you can say this is it. This is the truth. This is the final. There are many different kinds of Buddhism that appear to be very similar to what other, uh, to what other uh, world religions believe. 
Uh, for example, uh, Pure Land Buddhism, Pure Land Buddhism of uh, Aminta, they call Amitabha, uh, is almost identical to Christianity. Almost identical. However, the highest philosophy of uh, Buddhism is Madhyamaka Prasangaka view, is the highest view of Buddhism, which basically is what I teach, but not exclusively, because we can talk about all kinds of strange things, which basically says, yes, you are here, but not in the way you think you are, which does not deny that things actually have an appearance as they do, but that is not the that is not their true appearance. In practical application, uh, that uh, many of the Buddhist philosophies, uh, when presented to an ordinary person, uh, that they would simply laugh at you. If you say that, uh, for example, if you say that everything is illusory, it's really not even here at all, and uh, you go go into uh, I don't know McDonald's or some place selling mattresses or whatever that uh, and tell them that uh, everything is illusory they would just laugh at you it just it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense however when you acknowledge that yes things are here they really are here and then you work from that position understanding how they are here and uh, how they are and later how they are not here it makes uh, logical sense. So on page 250, for those of you who are interested, otherwise it doesn't matter. Concentration is of three kinds. The concentration practiced by ordinary beings, which was discussed last night. Concentration which clearly discerns, which is what we did a short meditation, very short meditation, uh, to arise in a natural calmness. And the excellent concentration of the Tathagatas, which I briefly uh, described. Uh, according to Patru Rinpoche, clearly discerning concentration, uh, which I, I covered the natural, the, the state of natural calm, which is the, which is the tool by which we will discover uh, this, uh, this uh, clearly discerning concentration. And Patru Rinpoche says, I quote, when you are free from any attachment to meditative experiences and are no longer fascinated by concentration, but still cling to emptiness as an antidote, then it, this is called clearly discerning concentration. So what this means, what this means is that uh, on the spiritual path, I'm going to say, that you will have many, many kinds of experiences uh, which arise, uh, sometimes uh, happening during the nighttime, you may have unusual dreams, you may see uh, you may see forms uh, and uh, uh, have uh, experiences during dream time that are more real than what you experience uh, during your waking time. Uh, you will also have sitting uh, meditations when you will uh, seem to uh, the room and the place that you're in uh, completely disappears and you are in a space which you can't say exactly where you are at but you are aware that you are uh, alive and that you are you, uh, but it, 
but uh, the things of uh, ordinary concentration, ordinary worries, uh, ordinary ideas are gone. And uh, these experiences, if you can stay with it long enough, that you will begin to discover about the experience itself and perhaps even have very subtle thoughts, very slight thoughts, I'm going to say, like, uh, what is the basis of this experience? Uh, is this happening? Is this happening because of another agent which has been applied to my uh, ordinary mind or something that is causing me to experience this uh, realm or this place which is not like this ordinary place that if I opened my eyes I would see objects in the room, that there must be something which has come to me that is literally causing me uh, to experience life in a different way. And many of you have had this experience and these are like treasures where you are feeling uh, disassociated uh, from ordinary attitudes or even ordinary identity. However, as soon as it is quite and quite normal to believe that something is happening to you. Isn't that so? And when it's happening to you, it's because something something has caused you to have this experience. Isn't that isn't that reasonable and a logical step in this? And so what is the reason for this happening? And for many people who have studied Buddhism, uh, who have uh, uh, a, a wrong view of, uh, of reality at this point. Why not? Why not? Perfectly natural. They say it's because emptiness has caused me to have this experience. That in fact I can't see the world because it's not real, because emptiness has come over me and created this experience. This is a, a, not everyone will think this, but large enough numbers will think this so that it is a valid, it is a valid point of discussion. <laughs> and, so, and so this, as soon as that thought arises, that you are attached to and clinging to the agent of emptiness as the reason why you are having of this new experience. And at that point, emptiness has become reified or made real to you as a thing. And this stage, this stage is actually a natural part of how the mind operates. The mind goes from clinging to clinging to clinging to clinging to clinging. That you can cling to pizza, then you can cling to soda pop, then you go to beer, then you go to cars, and then you go to girls or boys or whatever it is, and you go, then, then you discover, oh, I'm going to cling to God, and then I'm going to cling to a deity, and then I'm going to cling to my spiritual nature, and you go on a, perhaps on a higher level, but it's always jumping from one clinging to another as though the mind had to be attached to something in order, to, uh, in order to remain alive. And so it isn't a nothing 
is not an option. <laughs> However, at this point, that one has an idea that nothing is there, that nothing is there. And as soon as that comes, you're clinging to nothing. Not nothing as a nothing, but nothing as a real something. And this struggle can go on for lifetime after lifetime, after going through many different steps of spiritual training and development, that you finally get to a point where you have a particular meditation 40 years after you started meditating, where you are sitting and you come to that place again, again, again. And once you are clinging to nothing, clinging to emptiness, that you are just as stuck as when you were clinging to your first car. Yes, dear. So this brings up some questions, you know, to be able to identify whether I've had that experience or am having yes. that experience. Um, so in our practice with the green light, we're going for the green light. We're trying to be there in the green light and hold that experience. And my sense of the green light is that it's the wisdom. Yes. You know? Yes. So so with that, so how does that so very fit good to what you're saying? I, I understand, I, underst I think I understand what you're saying. The object of your meditation is a new object to cling to. What happens when you are fully immersed? What else is happening? Or shall I say it this way, what's not happening? Yes? You're not distracted by other things because you are fully, you're fully clinging. You know, it's rare to be able to fully cling that sometimes artists will have, a, will have a, a, an experience of a, a period of time when they are so immersed in their art that they forget to eat, they forget to sleep, that they are completely, you could say in a certain way, it's a kind of an obsession because you don't have, there's nothing else that's important other than your art at that time. And uh, what people might say about your art or things that people want to talk to you about, other things that you're not interested in anything. You're only interested in this. In other words, you're fully clinging to your art. Now, what's happening, what else is, ha what else is not happening? If you're thinking about, you, you said distractions, but what other things? What's not happening while you are fully clinging to a virtuous object? God? Deity? I'm not aware of anything else. What happens when you are not aware of anything else around you? You're saying it, but I want to hear you. Just, I, just there. Just fully. No, you're telling me what is happening. I'm asking you what's not happening. Or what, what is the other part of that dynamic while you're over here? You're not engaged with other things. And, that, and that's true, and it's a little different than what Gelmo said. Pema Gelpo, what would you like to add to that? I was going to say there's no uh, I thoughts. There's no I thoughts? Perhaps, perhaps not. 
Who else? Someone here. Yes, dear. Those other states of mind, the, the, you, you have to drop them. So you have to drop the anger. You have to drop the... But what happens when you drop them? What's happening? What's happening to your habits when you are dropping them? Yes. They're going away, why? Why are they going away? Because they're not attached to you. Be partially, but yes they are. Yes? You're withdrawing your awareness. You're withdrawing your awareness, a very important part of it. What happens when your awareness is with those other things? They get stronger. They get stronger, why do they get stronger? Because you're feeding them. And that was the, that was, who said that? Who said that? Good. And uh, the, reason, the reason when you don't feed them, what happens to them? They get, they get weaker. They get weaker. All right? And so what happens when they get weaker is they lose their ability from the... If, if you have... You, you know, the, if, if you have any residual awareness which remains as a kind of alerting factor to the delusions that they l gradually lose their, lose their alerting factors and that is when they disappear. That is when they disappear, when there's no alerting factors alive to be able to reignite them. And the reason why we go to this virtuous object even though it's not an ultimate state of transcendent wisdom that we go there in order to deprive nutrition to our delusions or what is preventing us uh, from uh, knowing reality. So we don't, uh, we are deliberately, we are deliberately not feeding our other uh, attachments. For example, this one, one reason when you come to Buddhism uh, at an older age, this is one of the real problems that is faced because you have achieved a, a alertness and craving in many, many different ways. There are very few people who arrive in the, even in their 40s without having gone through intense periods of craving and uh, what you call it uh, craving okay craving and uh, to to different kinds of objects in other words you thought this was that this was the meaning of life was driving the good car you thought the meaning of life was finding the perfect mate that could serve you perfectly. <laughs> and you thought that the meaning of life was having a, a job which you could make a lot of money, and so on and so on. In other words, you were obsessed. You were obsessed to what you were attached to. That when you wanted that new car, that nothing mattered. Nothing mattered. Not school, not friends, only getting the car. You'll deliver pizzas, you'll do uh, work at McDonald's, you'll do anything to get that car. You're obsessed, you become obsessed with the car. And so this obsession and the various obsessions which you've had in your life 
have created a kind of pool of a pool of awareness because you've moved on but you still have you still have strong and now we don't call it attachment anymore we call it sentimental we have sentimental attachment isn't that so if you saw a car drive by which was like the car that you finally acquired or the dream car that you have a certain kind of sentimentality that is the alerting factor that is the alerting mechanism by which we know what was our obsessions and cravings and objects of attachment in the past that still hold a bit of awareness huh. like some kind of uh, talisman like some kind of talisman of the past and if you are serious about your spiritual practice you're going to do something about removing m removing the the vestiges of uh awareness and alerting factors off those dead issues you know that uh there may be people in this room who have been married before and or have had forget about married before let's talk about people who have had former boyfriends and girlfriends who they were really serious about that when this attachment when this attach when when these inappropriate uh, not I'm not going to say inappropriate when these attachments are toward a living being a dog a cat a person that there is a certain kind, there's a different feeling. And that not only can you imbue others with your awareness, but you can, they can also hold that awareness. And you live in a kind of feedback loop, which is the thing you want to have in a good relationship, isn't that so? You want that, you crave high-quality feedback loop, like that. <laughs> in other words, love. <laughs> but in bad relationships, you still have that feedback loop. Only this time it's called suffering. Or, in its best form, that you have a certain kind of sentimental attachment uh, to people uh, that uh, are no longer in your lives. So whether you're looking at it in a more neutral way, for example, your high school friends, or as, as long as you're not in high school anymore, and uh, <laughs> or uh, certain kinds of places that you've worked, etc., it could apply in many different ways. These are all places that you have imbued with your awareness. You have fed it, and you have asked for it to remain. Many people suffer the harmful effects from previous relationships. They want to remove, they want to remove uh, that attachment that they have, but they did something, they did like a magical act over a number of times to bond, to bond their awareness to that other person. And now they don't want to do it anymore. Why? Because they've discovered spirituality. They've discovered that something is more valuable 
one of the best ways. You know, in some ways it's like a, it, it, it's like a drug addiction that we need to get off the uh, charge, inappropriate, whatever, uh, that we gain, that we gain from uh, relationships uh, which actually have nothing to do with the discovery of reality. And so we are gradually weaned away from inappropriate relationships. And uh, we see that in many different ways, we see how this relationship isn't good for that person, it isn't good for me, that they need to grow up, they need to make their own decisions, they need to have a life of their own. They, psychology is completely filled. And sociology is the study of these relationships and how you can transform relationships into healthy ones or how you can quietly tiptoe away from bad relationships <laughs> and gain peace of mind so that you can begin fresh. And how we begin fresh is a kind of psychological purification. And so psychology and sociology and all of the other ologies teach us how to do this, what they call in situ. We suffer by trying to correct our relationships because we are in the thick of it and still involved. And this is what makes it hard. The reason why spirituality works better at purification of this type is that we are away with our awareness as much as possible focused on another virtuous object which is not an object which is going to uh, hurt us. For most people, that they will, uh, in a difficult situation, where they feel that they are being damaged, they, would, they, would, they might think, God loves me. I don't need that because God loves me, you know? This is a spiritual cure for the difficulties of life. But in Buddhism, we don't have that. We don't, we don't look at it like that. We want, to, we want to go further away. We want to take more of our awareness away from those situations. And we have many different techniques to withdraw our awareness and place it on a virtuous object. Can anyone name some of the other techniques? Pranayama. Pranayama, yes. Very good. What else? Mantra. Mantra, yes. Mantra steadying the mind. But what, name a technique which literally suctions away <laughs> the, the awareness which has been inappropriate. What am I thinking? <laughs> White Tara. White Tara practice, returning lost energies, returning lost energies, energies are your awareness, which is remaining in little stagnant pockets in many different parts of this world, like that. But I'm adding to that by saying it's also remaining 
in little pockets of your obsessions that you no longer have. All right? So our sentimental attachment uh, to our uh, obsessions, which are no longer possible, are no longer possible, would be a very good place to start. <laughs> Uh, I had a, I had a student, my before, who uh, found out uh, during school that uh, what were the qualifications, the minimum qualifications to be president of the United States. Now that we have so many people running, I think perhaps some of the people in this room are running for president of the United States because we're at that point in the primaries. But to uh, discover the minimum qualifications and had an amazing experience of chills and, uh, and enthusiasm, realizing that they actually had the minimum qualifications as long as they continued to grow older and got to this minimum age for being president of the United States. And it became a kind of an obsession. It became an obsession it, uh, because the potential, the potential was there, uh, but uh, uh, gradually, after they achieved that certain, the initial enthusiasm, and in later years, they realized that they probably were not going to be president of the United States. And so that brief obsession contained a kind of alivement, an alivement, which is the actual energy, uh, energy containment of a non-corporeal nature, all right? That uh, you might say, you might say it's a kind of knot of enthusiasm, a knot of enthusiastic, or you could call it a thought form. And, uh, or it could come alive in many different ways. And, uh, and so withdrawing, withdrawing the, uh, uh, the energy from that, that energy has to come back to you, but if you can't tolerate that process, in other words, if you aren't an accomplished yogi already and know how to bring back these energies in a very safe and cleaning them, etc., many different kinds of techniques that are used, that the safest way is to not be there at all. Eventually, not only will you have to have an isolation of body, but you're going to have to have an isolation of mind, which means that everything that belongs to you has to be with you, has to be with you. And what doesn't belong to you has to be away from you. So it's sort of like a tangle of chains. Your energy, truly, your energy is like a tangle of fine silver chains. Like what belongs where and which necklace does this belong to? And eventually these knots, these energetic knots, uh, not just are, are just lying there limp because when you move, it moves like that. And so these, you want to make sure that your relationships are very clean and very uh, organized and very tidy. Our relationships and our connections with others are contaminated 
they're contaminated, and they continue to be fed in their contamination. And so we become a party to that. How are we going to help them when we are participating, like all of these people around the table, and we're adding our own two cents worth, sort of smacking them mentally? We're doing it right along with them. How can we help them when we act like that? And so seeing those unhappy states of mind in ourselves and in others should arouse our compassion and think, oh, what a, what a mess, what a mess this whole situation has become. And then we think, I must, I must become awakened so that I can really help others. So that my words have power. So that when I go to help someone, they don't go, yeah, 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 I've heard it a hundred times. Huh? Wouldn't that be like around the dinner table? Yeah, 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 yeah. They do nothing about it. They don't believe you. That's because your words don't have power. And your relationship with them is contaminated. What you need to do, and this is important because all of you have strong family and love relationships, that how you are loving each other in the unawakened state is actually hurting them. That they are suffering due to your unawakened love. And so you must become unawakened, not because you don't love and care for them, but because you do love and care for them. That we are expected to be in a kind of holding pattern. Not changing because others might not love us. They'll say, you changed, you're different now. We think you don't love us because you don't uh, fight with us around the dinner table anymore, like that. And be strong in your determination to become awakened so that how you express love and how you experience love in relationships can be a much higher quality than the, uh, the relationships that you are now experiencing. They will love you more when you are awakened, I promise you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on whatever platform you're listening. You can stay up to date on White Conch news and events at www.white-conch.org updates and can find all our social media links and blog posts as well as these podcast episodes at white-conch.org podcasts. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out the next episode as we continue our exploration of compassion.